0: Relevant and fun. As two nerdy bookworms, we appreciate the role of classic lit, but we won't get too academic about it. We'll talk about the books we love and the books we loathe, and help stock your TBR pile with old and new reads for every literary taste. Today, we're discussing Lonesome Dove by Larry McMurtry and pairing this epic tome with some
1: contemporary texts. Hi, Chelsea! Hi, Sarah. I don't even want to think about having to pair books with this novel because it was honestly one of the best books I've ever read. (laughs) We're just diving (laughs) right into it. I just had to, yeah, I have to to say it.
0: (laughs) No point beating around the bush. We both (laughs) adored this book. I think we would both say it's a new favorite, whatever that means, whatever, if that means you, Mm -hmm. like, I don't know if you have like a mental ranking of your top five or 10, or just like a general category of favorites, for both of us, this is a new one. And it's gonna be really hard to talk about it in an episode length time. And it's impossible to pair. I have, I mean, in our little outline, I think I have five or six
1: books that I like have jotted down with question marks. I'll have to see when we get there. (laughs) What's moving me? (laughs) I know. So just some backstory for listeners because we have not been in your earbuds for quite a while. We took kind of a summer break. We decided We like the school kind of schedule, and we work for ourselves, so we can do that. But we have been reading with our Patreon community, which we fondly call a couple of things, Classics Club, Novel Pairings University, (laughs) (laughs) and we have been reading Lonesome Dove with them all summer, and we broke it into three parts, which the book is already broken into three parts. It made it super easy. And so we were able to discuss each part individually and thank goodness we did that because there's just so much to talk about with each and every part. So like you said, this episode will be tough um, to get to everything, but I hope for people who love Lonesome Dove and are tuning in, we do it justice. And I hope for people who are thinking about reading this book that we can convince them to pick it up.
0: Yes. I think that's going to be our main goal here. <laughs> um yeah, we we read we read a couple of big books with our community over on Patreon. Most recently, we read Middle March. Kind of while we were um, on our maternity leave, everyone really enjoyed kind of a slow but steady read along together with check ins. And so we brought it back for our summer break, and we're gonna, I think, keep bringing this back. So if that's something you're interested in, um, definitely join us over there. We'll be doing it again, and we picked. Lonesome Dove, I mean, we threw out a lot of titles and we have a a list of books we eventually, big books we eventually want to cover. For me, I've been really excited to read this because my husband read it sometime during the pandemic, maybe, maybe in 2020. Um, and he loved it so much and has been trying to get me to read it ever since. And I'm so glad that I finally did. And I'm really glad I did it both like before he completely forgot the details of it and with a group because so much happens that kind of the like live texting happening in our discord as people were reading this has been uh, really valuable to my reading experience as well.
1: And it's been hilarious. Oh yeah. <laughs> Just to see everyone's reactions. I am curious were you kind of talking to Miles about the book as you were reading or when you finished it and, you know, I don't know if you cried at all. <laughs> I had I had a couple of tears. Um what what was his reaction to your reaction, I guess? Or what was that like at your house when you were reading this book? Yeah, I mean, especially as I got close to the end, I was like I know uh, I won't say exactly
0: what because I don't know if I we haven't talked about this. I don't know if we'll get into spoilers at the very end. I think maybe we should, but we'll give warnings then yeah. um so I won't say what specifically, but just as the as the end of the as the book is drawing to a close, <laughs> there's a lot of okay this is this is where Gus is now this is where call is now. okay, here's what's going on with Newt um. And there were tears, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I felt like I just needed somebody to, like, be there with me and empathize as, um, yeah.
1: as things were ending. I, so we're here gushing about this book, but I don't think either of us expected to love it as much as we did. Our community of readers certainly didn't. The general consensus every time we met up was like, I did not expect to be so sucked in. This took me by surprise, but we all just kind of felt like we were on this journey together. And I was definitely surprised that I enjoyed this book so much because I am not a Western reader by any means. I don't think. I don't think I've ever read a not another Western. Yeah i
0: I completely agree, and it's funny because I've only heard good things. I don't think I've ever heard someone say that they read Lonesome Dove and it was just meh. So I yeah, but I still was shocked by how much I I loved it, how much I felt for the characters. To me, this became just a very different reading experience and I I will maybe talk more about this when I get into my pairings and how I chose them but I I tend to be somewhat of like I read for craft and I read for ideas a lot of the time so like when people when people talk about do you like character driven or plot driven books like to me I like writing driven books like I like paying attention to the craft and the themes that a book is exploring. And so I tend to read a lot of books with like unusual structures or that are very inventive in their language or um, how the book is pieced together. I like reading books where I'm like really trying to come away with like, oh, what is the author doing with this idea and how are they using language to do that? Um... This book was not like that, which is not to say it the craft was the craft was indeed exceptional. Um, there are plenty of big ideas and themes to talk about. But this was just like getting swept away in a story with fantastic characters. Everybody felt so real to me. Um, I wasn't just it's, I, as I was reading, I wasn't thinking, hmm, I wonder why Larry McMurtry chose to do X which is usually the question I like to ask when I'm reading, I was just in it and I loved that. And I'm not going to abandon my like, you know, structural crafty books, (laughs) but I so loved that reading experience.
1: Yeah, it was truly absorbing. And that's not to say, I mean, I had a very similar experience, but that's not to say that I didn't appreciate his writing and what he was doing because I think in order to take a reader along on that kind of journey, you do have to be such a skilled author. And his narrative style was so impressive to me. We have talked about free indirect discourse quite a bit on the podcast in relation to Jane Austen Mm -hmm. because she's the inventor of this narrative style. This basically means that you aren't getting first-person narration where. The characters are saying, I, but through the narrator's eyes, you are sort of getting into their minds and inhabiting their lives and sort of like entering and exiting different characters' perspectives and points of view. And there are a lot of characters in this book. And so for Larry McMurtry to use free and direct discourse to the level that he did and to make each character's thoughts and feelings and view of the world so distinct that you knew exactly who it was even i mean you could take the names out and i feel like you would still know whose point of view you were in the way that he wrote this i just found it so impressive and that was a big part of the absorbing uh skill of this novel that just made you feel swept away because you were constantly just like zooming in and out of these different characters and different landscapes and felt right there with them. And it was incredible.
0: Yeah, I completely agree. I I feel like if somebody was writing a book like this today, it would be in like alternating POV chapters, which is something I enjoy. But I think that the free indirect discourse takes a lot more skill and also adds to this feeling of being like within and without. Like you get to notice things that the characters maybe don't. Sometimes, um, sometimes maybe you're in on a joke with the narrator that the characters are not. But then you also get the personal relationship with the characters and the empathy with them and really understanding all of their perspectives and motivations because you do see from each character's perspective uh throughout the journey. So I I think he's definitely
1: a master of of that. I really like authors who manage to say a lot in fewer words and it sounds this is a this is an 800 and some page book. It sounds like that's not Larry McMurtry, right? But it kind of is at the mm-hmm. sentence level. Very Simple writing, and I don't mean that in a bad way, but very direct because these characters are direct with each other, humorous mm-hmm. and uh, succinct. And so I just, I particularly liked at the sentence level, just the style of the writing. And so I really, I always enjoy that. And I I really enjoyed the dry humor. Oh, yeah. Great, great humor. Great blend
0: of showing and telling Um, where... The way he describes characters, or the way characters describe each other um, tells you so much and, and so little time, as you said. Like, even the most minor characters, you get get such great details about them. But then, like, he really, throughout throughout the book, like, you see uh, the characters live out those descriptions in just the most perfect ways as well. Um, so, loved the writing. I feel like.
1: I feel like that's another thing we've said about Austin before it is
0: <laughs> it is and I, I yeah, I don't even remember which book we were talking about that with, but um we've definitely said that about her before and i I wonder I wonder if Larry McMurtry read some Jane Austen.
1: I wouldn't be surprised. I would love to know <laughs> well, he definitely read some Westerns, was in that realm. He wrote a lot of books. He wrote a lot of screenplays, including Brokeback Mountain. Um, And Lonesome Dove is part of a four book series. So I don't know if I'm going to keep going or if I want to just kind of sit with this one for a while longer, but we have an episode on Patreon. So you can still sign up and listen to that about the Western genre. It's a good precursor to Lonesome Dove if you kind of like that background before jumping in, but if you've already read it and you just kind of want to know where this fits into literature broadly, it's a good episode to listen to, but we'll just kind of quickly talk about some of the Western highlights and, you know, how Lonesome Dove fits those. And I think that this will bring about some summary for people too. So the first thing is setting. Westerns are typically set in the old American West. So think like 1800s and Lonesome Dove is set post-Civil War and primarily in Lonesome Dove, Texas. And then they make their way up to Montana.
0: Yeah. If you were describing the plot of this book in the most succinct way possible, it would be that um, it's, it's about cattle drive. It's about a group of men um some of whom have known each other a long time some of whom are new kind of to this this crew who are taking their cattle uh based on a recommendation from an old buddy um from Texas up to Montana a lot happens along the way obviously
1: yeah i mean if seeing the book described like that is basically what turned me off to it yeah. right i <laughs> yeah. i don't want to read about a bunch of men on a cattle drive that's not what I typically reach for at all, but some of the other aspects of the Western genre, like the character types. So typically in Westerns, we have cowboys or outlaws who are sort of um, living on the edge of the law and have to grapple with a lot of issues around justice and morality and ethics. And that's what makes a plot interesting and that's what makes character growth interesting um there are also typically indigenous characters so we have some native americans we have some mexicans and um we also have um is was Dietz the only african-american character in lonesome dove i feel like there might have been a couple unnamed black characters but Dietz was the primary one
0: yeah, I think he's the only Black member of the Hat Creek crew.
1: He ended up being maybe the character I got most emotional about. I love him so much. Me too. And so did everybody else. So did everybody else. Yeah, especially Newt.
0: He was a great uh, sub and father figure for for Newt. Um, listeners, we'll get into more of these characters as, yeah. as we go, but... Um, yeah, I mean that's what makes this this book so great, right? Is the the band of characters who's on this cattle drive, and you said this in one of our book club meetings, Chelsea. That this is maybe the most character driven book you've ever read, and it it really is. And I I don't think that that is necessarily typical of a western, especially if you think about the kind of like. Um, you know, dime westerns that you you would buy. And they're more like revenge driven, plot driven. Um, and we have some of that there. Larry McMurtry is a fan of this genre. He puts those things in there. But it's just these fully formed um, characters who really
1: make this book sing. I think we could probably record a whole episode just talking about character driven versus plot-driven books. Maybe we should. And maybe including what you said, like writing-driven books Mm -hmm. and sort of talking about what the differences are between all of those. Because when a lot of times when we say character-driven books, people hear, oh, nothing much happens. That's definitely not true in Lonesome Dove. Everything happens. (laughs) Yeah. So much happens. There's a lot of action. There's a lot that makes you want to keep turning the pages. This book is driven by the characters' inner motivations, their histories, and their choices. It's not necessarily driven by this, like, outside plot that gets them to get up and go. It's truly just coming from the characters. And pretty much every action item or every big thing that happens, you can go back to a character's choice and pinpoint why it happened. Whereas more plot-driven books, I feel like, might be like there's there's an external thing driving the action of the story. But this book is so internal. And it feels backwards to say. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's so internal. And
0: I think you better described what I was talking about with my reading experience too, which is just that there weren't really moments where I had to think. I wonder why Larry McMurtry chose to do this in the book because everything felt so authentic to the characters he had created. Mm. Every, it felt driven by them, like they had had come to life and they were steering the journey of this book, um, which was literally just, <laughs> yes,
1: <laughs> which was just a, a mesmerizing experience well we should probably talk about these characters cuz i have a feeling we will have a lot to say about them and i would say the two primary characters who are steering the story and quite literally gather everyone are call and gus and they've been um
0: they've been close they've been friends since they were texas rangers together and then they started this um Hat Creek outfit, uh, cattle business together. Um, and they live in or outside of Lonesome, Lonesome Dove when the the book begins and you learn so much about them when the, in the opening chapters of the book, just based on like where they sleep, what they do in the morning, who they want to interact with or don't want to interact with and they're they're in many ways opposites. Um, they're very much opposites, but once again, not in a way that's like, oh, you know, Call is like this and Gus is like this in order to illustrate a point. Like they both just feel like very real people.
1: Yeah, you make a good point though. They're not foils for each other. No. They're not. They're not opposites to serve a. Purpose, their opposites because it's entertaining to the story. And like you said, because it makes them feel more real. They just kind of like ended up together because they've they've done a lot. They've been fighters for so long. Do you have some descriptions that you want to read? Um not necessarily.
0: I was just opening up to remind myself because it was so long ago. <laughs> I <know. laughs> but I remember very much um, just feeling totally immersed in the story right away. Um, the first sentence is just, when Augustus came out on the porch, the blue pigs were eating a rattlesnake. Not a very big one. And then it just kind of goes on to describe this this scene um, when we're introduced to Call. Uh, we do get the descriptor again like this this both showing and telling his stubborn partner Captain WF call um and then shows like uh, just about a disagreement about how much shade there is <laughs> in the uh surrounding um the surrounding area and like those small details just tell you so much about them they throw you right into this this place and these people um one, thing i i i mean i think gus is like kind of the maybe the soul of the the hat creek operation he's he's much louder than call he's much more (laughs) (laughs) extroverted than than call um he he talks a lot and that's a really funny thing to to experience as you're reading is you get to know both gus and call very well but call doesn't have a lot of dialogue he doesn't talk much um and they clearly annoy the heck out of each other um but I don't know if they could have a successful operation without the other
1: yeah uh that's a good point you often learn about call either through Gus's dialogue with others or from being in his point of view and kind of getting his thoughts about call um you don't, you do get some point of view through Call's eyes, but you do get a lot from Gus's perspective. And yeah, the, I think one of the big things about these two is they are just so deeply respected by the community, by their men that they employ. And they're just seen as these larger than life Figures, partly because of all of the stories and the folklore that follows them around as former Texas Rangers, they are really skilled fighters, which you get to see later in the book. I feel like the first third of the book easily, or I don't, I don't know, maybe even further. You, you get this sense of respect, and you get the sense of what they did, but you are kind of like, oh, they're a little washed up. Like <laughs> yeah. those are the old days, right? But then things happen and they Mm -hmm. have to fight and they have to use all of their skills and they're incredibly skilled at combat and scouting and all of the things that you would need to be a Texas ranger and survive a really hard cattle drive. Yeah.
0: And I, I just, I think that this is maybe, um, you know, uh, maybe, maybe this will be a point to, to help convince people who don't read a lot of Westerns. Like, These characters feel both um, reverent to some of the sort of like stock characters or traditional Western characters, but they're so fully formed that they're not these, they're not heroes, but they are. I mean, they're like, (laughs) they're both. Um, They're not like, they're not all, all good or all heroic. They make really some terrible choices throughout you never feel like you, um, oh, you never feel like they're supposed to be like these great American men that are just like if only men were men. Still, <laughs> like mm-hmm. they're 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 flawed, and they are um, they're vulnerable even even when they're also like strong and great fighters and very capable. Like you said, they very much have their their weaknesses. And um, I, I just really appreciated that. I think that was one thing that held me back from reading this book was like, I just, I don't want to read a book that just glorifies this like very masculine identity. And it it I think I can very definitively say it doesn't, even though there are moments of that, but there are also moments that undo that.
1: Mm, Yeah, that's a really good point. I, I totally agree. That was a big part of my hesitancy and I still have some hesitancy. I do, I absolutely did love this book, but it was imperfect in its portrayal of indigenous peoples. There were some harmful stereotypes at play that I think holding up this as a singular novel of the American West is dangerous. Um, But Yes, you are absolutely right that the the masculinity piece of it that I was pretty concerned about, that I was like, do I just want to read this bro book? <laughs> I did not find that to be the case at all. I found a lot of gentleness and naivete from like Newt, for example, mm-hmm. the sort of coming of age storylines. But I also saw how pride And arrogance and stubbornness, which are these traditionally masculine characteristics, can really be a downfall for men. But you see these men living in community with one another and Call and Gus specifically having this really rich, deep, years-long friendship. Your heart is very early on softened to Gus, and it's supposed to be, but by the end of the book, my heart was really softened to Call as well.
0: Yes, I I completely agree. And I I'm glad you brought up that this book is not without its problems. It it does it did feel to me like it was so it was published in 1985. I don't know how long it took Larry McMurtry to write this. Like you said, he was prolific, so maybe even not that long. <laughs> um it did feel like he was trying like to put in like for example with the character of Gus like Gus talks a lot about and we see it happen too about trying to um work with the indigenous peoples and um and make strides and use diplomacy first whenever possible he was still a texas ranger so his job was to like you know eradicate indigenous peoples from the the land so again like he's no angel it's not like we have like one figure who really is a defender of indigenous peoples and another who's not um not at all but it still feels very dated and like um a lot more could have been done to to give more indigenous characters the same uh, depth of humanity that he does with so many of the other characters in the book
1: So do you think that Larry McMurtry afforded the same depth of character to the women in the novel as he did the men? Because there are a couple of women in the novel who are definitely strong characters, play a prominent role in the book. Um, But I would be curious to hear your thoughts about them. Maybe we should start with Lorena because we're introduced to her first.
0: Okay. Yeah. I mean, I'll I'll kind of briefly answer your question, and maybe as we discuss, my my mind will be changed. I, I think my um uh, my basic answer is yes. But because there are fewer women, they almost do become more like foils to each other. Like you can be a Lorena or a Clara. Um, there are a couple other women, but um I I don't think that's what Larry McMurtry is doing, but just because. We don't have as many characters there. The way femininity is depicted is just much more limited in scope. But I do think each of those two main female characters is granted um, as rich of an internal life as any of the men and as much complexity. Um, So but yes. okay. so let's talk about Lorena. She's the first woman we meet. She is a whore in Lonesome Dove um she's absolutely gorgeous um we know that that right away and we learn her backstory that she was basically forced coerced into prostitution um by a man who said he was going to marry her when she was very young and um i loved the the moment we meet Lorena where she's just like She's, she wants to go to San Francisco so badly because she just knows it's gonna be cooler there. Like she's so hot and she's so dusty and she just wants to feel cool. And I I loved that as our introduction to her. Like I think that's a great example of how like she has this
1: rich internal life right away. Now that I have finished the book, and I did, I mean, I enjoyed reading the scenes with her. I thought she was really a compelling character. Um, but I do think that her presence... Oh, did you burp? Theo's here. <laughs> <laughs> that her presence only seemed to highlight certain characteristics of the men. So hmm. Jake Spoon ends up being one of her paramours and he comes into town and we're told that he's a womanizer and that he's no good and he's he's kind of annoying and then um he turns out to just really treat her poorly um and i i just felt like her presence only was meant to like highlight the faults in his character and then when she um, sort of develops a different kind of relationship with Gus, we get to see him in a different light and we get to like really fall for him um, kind of as she's doing so too. And just thinking about the events of the novel, it kind of lines up with like, okay, well, before spoiler happens to Jake, the reader might need to feel a certain way and before you know spoiler things happen in Gus's life maybe the reader needs to feel a certain way and Lorena really serves as that impetus or the scenes with her serve that really well mm-hmm.
0: yeah I I think that that's a really good point and a valid critique of of the way McMurtry is using Lorena's character. I think that the couple of things that for me, if not fully, nothing's going to fully negate that or like make that untrue because I I think that you're right. I think the things that um, deepen her character and her arc, um, (laughs) number one is where she ends up at the end of the novel who she who she ends up with mm, yeah. um which and <laughs> this is a hard one to talk you'd think with like such a long book there would be enough to talk about without getting into spoilers but it really just you know you just want to talk about these characters in their full arcs um, I so, know <laughs> <laughs> so who she ends up with I think it really kind of complicates things and the fact that that she thinks about herself basically the exact same thing that you said about her. Um, many of the men are, quote unquote, in love with her, including Dish, um, who I think serves a great purpose for enhancing Lorena's character because Dish is like, he's likable. I think we like sympathize with his love for Lorena and. Um, And the fact that she does not care for him at all. But at the same time that the book then kind of like um, makes us like culpable in how we're thinking about Lorena, too, that she should choose like a good man. She should choose a particular man. And then she thinks at some point she's like and I think I think Clara thinks something similar too. So both women kind of know this about the roles they serve that that. She, Lorena recognizes that she's a fantasy for these men and that they, and when they were paying to sleep with her or when they are traveling with her and think they're in love with her, she is just serving as a body for them to put all of their fantasies and desires on and nobody really like sees her as a full person. And so I think the fact that she thinks that she recognizes that's what other characters are doing. It makes the fact that she did kind of serve that purpose in the text, like more complicated.
1: Yeah. I, I definitely agree particularly about uh, where she ends up at the end of the novel. And um, I mean, I so we talked about her relationships with some of these men, mm-hmm. another woman that she ends up, Um, being in community with is Clara. And you Mm -hmm. mentioned Clara before. And there is also, like there are a couple of other women characters in here, but I think Clara and Lorena are the ones that get the most page time. Mm -hmm. And I mean, I loved Clara. I could have stayed at Clara's house with her family for... Eight hundred more pages. Well, and she would have had you because she
0: loves to collect people and take yeah. them under her wing, and mother and befriend, and um yeah, I I loved Clara too,
1: and it was really fun to. So for the whole beginning of the book, you hear Gus talking about this long lost love of his. The one that got away is Clara. And you get to know Gus for many pages. And then when you get to know Clara, I felt like (laughs) immediately I was like, oh, I can see exactly how these two would be together. Or I can see exactly why he is so drawn to her. Gus likes to think of himself as an educated intellectual man. Clara loves to read and she lives for getting magazines in the mail. She also thinks about what it would be like if she picked up her family and moved to the Northeast and became a writer. And she likes to talk. And when those two finally are on page together, which I don't think is a spoiler, it's like foreshadowed the entire book, Mm -hmm. you can just tell how flirty they were and why they they had uh, a little fling back in the day. You would love to to read a romance
0: novel with those two. (laughs) <laughs> Absolutely, I would. Maybe you should write it,
1: Chelsea. <laughs> I think Western romance novels are like beyond problematic. That's like a whole episode for another story. <laughs> I'm sure. But some fan fiction probably yeah. already exists.
0: <laughs> yeah, I, I loved Clara as well. I love that she's reading. She loves to read George Eliot and Thackeray. And um, that was so fun because I felt like I feel like this book fits right in with with those clara would probably love to read lonesome dove um yeah but she's she's so she's so strong but she's she's not without her own vulnerabilities um i i even think that you know the way that she speaks to and about call is so interesting because you know he's one of our main characters one of our driving forces and and heroes throughout the book um and she really, she does not like, she does not like Woodrow call.
1: <laughs>
0: um, and, you know, I, I, I don't even think it's a spoiler to talk about why, but I think it's so powerful to get to explore that on the page that I, I won't say more about that. But yeah, she, she really, and she even complicates the way. We see Jake Spoon because she was like, "Oh yeah, he was kind of a fun guy, <laughs> Like right?" You know? um, and and so it just just fascinating how um, how much complexity there is in in this book. But I agree, I, I loved being at Claire's house, even
1: though there was a lot of heartache there too. Yeah, and I do. I think that's something that Larry McMurtry did really well, and one of his aims. He has said before that one of his aims with Lonesome Dove and with his books is realism not the gunfights and the um like hollywood version of westerns that's not lonesome dove even though it did end up being a miniseries um one of the things he did really well in addition to just showing how harsh a cattle drive is is showing how harsh the west was if you were a woman and how dangerous it was and how it would absolutely, of course, change you fundamentally mm-hmm. in every possible way that that landscape and the people in it would change you as a person. Mm-hmm. So through Clara and Lorena and a few other characters, you really, I just found it really easy to empathize even with Elmira who mm-hmm. oh, yeah. leaves her baby. Mm-hmm. I empathize with
0: her too. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah.
1: Um and it just I, I just thought he did a, a great job of illustrating just how bleak and and hard and tough and how of course this place would harden you in different ways. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And I, I I completely agree. I feel like we get to experience that vicariously as we read, read this book um okay well we we clearly cannot talk about all of the characters but we we mentioned newt who is i think 17 ish at the onset of the novel we know that his his mother was was a whore um he doesn't know who his father is and that's a a story throughout the book we talked about josh deets who's the one black member of the the company, he was a, a Texas Ranger with Call and, and Gus. And he um he and Newt get really close throughout the book, which is a wonderful relationship. Um any other characters you want to make sure we touch on?
1: I don't think so. I mean, I know there are side characters that we're missing, but Dietz and Newt, I think, of the Hat Creek cattle crew were my favorites Mm -hmm. i thought um getting to see newt's journey and really watching him go from boy to man by the end of this journey and uh just see how the whole crew kind of treated him as a son when they all had inklings of who his dad was but knew he didn't and nobody kind of wanted to get in the way so they Mm -hmm. all kind of just rallied around him Mm -hmm. just thought that was really beautiful and then gosh yeah I just I because so I really enjoyed Dietz every time he was on the page um we talked about this in book club some of the most beautiful descriptions of the landscape come through his point of view Mm -hmm. because he's the scout for them Mm -hmm. and he has He has a deep appreciation for the land. Um, And so I always liked when he was on the page, but I don't think I expected to be as attached to him as I did because he isn't one of the main, main characters. Those two. Yeah. were some of the most had
0: some of the most emotional pull in the book. I, we, we talked a little bit about this, the humor in this book. And some of that comes from like the way characters defy expectations. I think. July Johnson. He's kind of a character you maybe laugh at a little bit, but you still, again, you empathize. Everyone is complicated. Um, and he's a sheriff, but like total, totally incompetent. Um, and that leads to some, some tragedy. Um, but also he's just kind of this like hang dog sort of character that gives some, some humor. I really like Poe Campo who is the the cook yeah um he's a great great character just like um he uh, is like an exceptional cook (laughs) like um would be running a restaurant if he were living today with like very strange special dishes (laughs) and he's just like this charming man and then you learn that like maybe possibly probably he murdered his wife and you're just like oh Um, so there's just, there's so much level of detail and humor and defying of expectations and complexity, um, that
1: it just was a joy to read. There's that one random scene, um, where July Johnson's deputy, Roscoe, Mm -hmm. it took me a second to come up with the name, (laughs) uh. Roscoe does kind of sound like Theo. You looked at your mama right (laughs) (laughs) now. Yeah. (laughs) Um, So he is on the road following after July. And he comes upon a woman who needs help, like, with her pigs or something. Mm -hmm. And she is like, stay here and marry me. And she, like, (laughs) takes advantage of him in the barn. And he is like, what is going on? And she it was hel- a hilarious aside and i was also like this consent is very questionable <laughs> yeah. um and it didn't really have anything to do with the rest of the book except that of course you would encounter odd people like out mm. in the middle of nowhere on yeah. your journey or um, and then
0: the buffalo hunters the one who thinks that he's married to elmira yeah. because they're traveling together oh there's just there's so many uh so much random but wonderful details in in this book well i i mean we can't possibly get to all of this and uh we have been talking almost an hour already um do you want to talk themes like what if there's so many. There's and yeah. and I don't I don't want this conversation to come across as like we're boiling this down to like this is what this book is the one thing it's about, um, because there's so many and I think it's for sure one of those books where, no matter when you read it, you'll come up with like a new theme that mm-hmm. speaks to you. Um, but I guess that I guess that's my question: Was there a particular theme that spoke to you on this reading?
1: I think the. Call and Gus both sort of display this very different idea of what life is about. Mm-hmm. And um call his motivations are so unclear to his men. Like, why are we making this journey? Why why are we bothering? Like you had it good back home. Um why? And he just has this drive in him that, like, has to go and do more and achieve more. And Gus, I guess in, this is maybe how they're foils to each other. I'm sorry. Do you want to say something? <laughs> um, Gus wants to sit and enjoy life. He's very amused by things. Mm-hmm. He doesn't always have to achieve. He's very happy to be amused and... Um, <laughs> I I think that they <laughs> they bring up some really important questions about like what what is a life well spent. Um and I didn't expect to find that. I mean in an old western, right? Like life was survival. And yet you have these men who are really questioning how do I spend my days and what what will make me matter here? Mm-hmm. What will, you know, make me happy. Um, so I don't know. I I found those questions to be really something I'm still sitting with. What about you, Sarah?
0: Yeah, I I I agree. I mean, I think that baked into that question too is sort of like, you know, what does it mean to do the right thing in in a wide variety of of circumstances and just as in in small ways and in in big ways and how what is right isn't um there isn't necessarily one answer to that question and um, I think that a lot of the characters have these sort of moral codes whether they're clearly defined or implicit in in the reading and how how they, um follow them or break them and sometimes follow them maybe to their own detriment but to them it's they they are they're doing the right thing they're sticking with their their code it was really an interesting question to me and and then married to that too the idea of loyalty and can you be loyal to your own like personal moral code while being loyal to others and how do you do what you think is right while uh, caring for for other people and what they think is right and like none of that is it really explicit like it's not like the characters are sitting there like mulling over like well this is my code versus like this is what I'm being asked to do but you just see it throughout the entire work Yeah
1: oh gosh loyalty is such a big one and loyalty in all kinds of different relationships in uh parent, relationships you know what do you owe your children or what do you owe oh your parents um friendship especially but yeah i think <laughs> um so in the intro i think it was just a little lo- like a offer author's note at the beginning larry mcmurtry said that he was particularly interested in this question of paternity and Mm -hmm. exploring that. And I didn't necessarily think that that theme made a huge mark until towards the end. And especially when you see Clara and how she parents. Mm -hmm. Um, I, I don't think it's much of a spoiler, but if, if this is a like take your earbuds out for like, 30 seconds, yeah. but call is Newt's father. Mm-hmm. It's hinted at from the very beginning. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you know, it, even though Newt doesn't know it for a very long time. Um, I think there's more to explore there. We haven't had our, as of recording this, we haven't had our conversation with our book club yet. And I think that there's a lot more to explore with that relationship. Mm-hmm. Um, and that theme of like, does it, doesn't matter who your father is. Um, he was gonna be loyal to call no matter what. What was the difference between him claiming him? Mm-hmm. Like some of the characters talk about like give him your name, claim mm-hmm. him, and what's what's the importance of that?
0: hmm Yeah. I think that um a, a scene around that towards the end of the book was one of the most emotional parts for me. Um which I wasn't expecting because I kind of knew what, <laughs> thought I knew what was coming there. Um, but yeah. It, and just like people's inability. I mean, <laughs> we talk about how complex and, and nuanced these characters are. Gus and call don't change much throughout the book. And that, is a unique way to like show, you know, we talk about in English classes, flat versus round characters. And one of the definitions is round characters change um, throughout the story. And we don't really see that here. And I, that, that felt so real to who these men were and where they were in their lives. And it is kind of their, their not worst qualities, but some of their, some of their flaws that really are their downfall in the end in, in really just tragic ways. but um, but there's a lot of... Uh, I mean, I, I liked what he did with the ending. I, I, I wanted it to end differently for many of the characters, but I thought that the way he ended things was
1: pretty perfect. <sighs> That's how oh. I felt after reading the book too like a huge I just like let out a huge sigh because I was so pleased with the experience of reading it I was uh I felt so many emotions at the end I mean like you said that satisfaction but also sadness um yeah it was really good who would you recommend this to Sarah
0: anyone <laughs> yeah <laughs> really I mean d- and I don't know if I would say that if we hadn't been doing this as a book club because, um, I mean, I I loved it and obviously and said it's a new favorite. But what makes me confident in saying I would recommend it to anyone, anyone who has the time, um, is how much everyone in our book club is just loving this book. And maybe there are some people who are there silently hating it. And that's totally fine. Um, and I would be curious to hear like, you know, maybe some more critiques of it or, or the types of readers it's not clicking for, but it just seems like if you have the time for a big book, if you are, if you are a reader, um, you, and you pick this up at the right time in your life, I think there is a very good chance you will get swept away and really enjoy your time with Lonesome Dove. It might not become a new favorite for everyone, but I I think I I I think I'd recommend it to anyone.
1: How about you? <laughs> well, I handed it off to my husband right away and Great. I told him that he would love it and I said I wouldn't set your expectation like that. Unless I knew it to be true. Yeah. Um, yeah, gosh. Oh, sorry. Theo found uh, some kind of paper. Are you busy? <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I so I think readers who enjoyed that experience of reading Middle March and just kind of being swept up in a group of characters, but also, I mean, people who like adventure stories yeah this it really does have something for everyone but you make a really good point about it being the right time to pick it up it Mm -hmm. is a huge book making the choice of how you want to read it which format you read it via audio i read it via paper copy um all of those will of course factor into your reading experience and i do it's a really good book club book it's a great book club book. And it was great to split up into parts. So if you have an in-person book club and you are looking for something challenging or you're looking for something that you can do over the course of three months, I mean, it'd be a great like winter read. I know a lot of people kind of take book club breaks over the holidays. Um, this would be a really good one to pick up.
0: Mm-hmm. I completely agree. Um You mentioned Middlemarch. I just wanted to say I was really struck by how the commentary on unmarked graves at the end of this book that, you know, the final sentence of Middlemarch also is about unmarked graves. And um, yeah, I think because both of these books are just are about people. They're just about people and how hard and beautiful it is to be a person in the world trying to do your best with what you're given. And so, like if that's the kind of thing you like to read, those kinds of just very human stories, don't let the setting um or the plot of the cattle drive keep you away from, from this one. Um, it's just a very remarkable human book. All right, Chelsea. Well, we already alluded to this at the top of the episode, but it was really tough find pairings for this book. Do you want to say anything about that before we dive into our pairings?
1: Yeah. there. So there were a couple of books that struck me right away as possible pairings as I was reading. So it wasn't difficult in that sense, um, but difficult in the sense that I I I love the books that I'm going to recommend as pairings, but I just don't know that they capture the essence of Lonesome Dove. I don't know that they'll measure up as being as epic and sweeping. They are great for different reasons. So, and maybe that's good because we aim to appeal to a variety of different readers with our pairings. But what about you, Sarah?
0: Yeah, I I had the same experience. I just, it was... You know, I, I honestly, I feel like I expected that I would be choosing books that were a little bit like, you know, subverting the Western genre or some, something along those lines. And just those weren't the books I ended up wanting to pair with this because it was so sweeping. I was so engaged. I really wanted to try and find books that gave me a similar feel. To lonesome dove and and as you said that was the hard part like there are there are so many books that i could have paired with this for for a setting or a specific plot points or a specific theme um and kind of that's that's what i landed on for the most part here and these are all books that i really like but nothing it was it was
1: just hard to find something that felt like lonesome dove Okay, well, I I think that you probably did a way better job than you're giving yourself credit for because you're <laughs> you're good at finding those books that are like vibey and mood reading. So I'm really curious. No, to hear, I appreciate that. <laughs> I'm really curious to hear what your first pick is.
0: Okay, well, I'm before I get into my first pick, I'm gonna say, little bonus pick, but because I paired this with our. The last book we covered, Romance in Marseille, I'm just going to throw out Tomorrow and Tomorrow and Tomorrow by Gabrielle Zevin, because that did kind of pull me in and sweep me away. And and I know you had a slightly different opinion on this book, so I won't say that it was like that for every reader, but I think many readers just kind of fell in love with the reading experience for that book. Um, And... It does like have like a little Western touch in it, which is also fun. So I'm going to throw that out there and then say you should join our Patreon where we do talk more about Westerns and we come up with some Western pairings and some subversive Western pairings. So those are extras. But my first official pairing is The Sun by Philip Meyer. Have you read anything by Philip Meyer? I haven't, no. No. So his book, American Rust, was on the syllabus of a class I took called Class Fictions in grad school, and I really liked his writing. And then I read The Sun and then recommended it to Miles, who also really loved this book. And maybe for a while it was Miles' favorite, maybe until he read Lonesome Dove. <laughs> um, but The Sun is it's epic. It's over 500 pages, I think like 550 pages. It's pretty backlist. I think it's about 10 years old, and it is a multi-generational family saga set in Texas. It follows the McCullough family. Um, Eli McCullough is the patriarch. We meet him in the early timeline of the book, um, the late 1800s, I believe. Um, He is captured in a Comanche raid and lives with the Comanche for much of his adolescence. He eventually, this is not a spoiler. He eventually um, kind of reintegrates back into um, into the white world of Texas and becomes a oil baron and just a vastly wealthy and influential figure in his Texas community. And then we follow that family for three generations and it alternates timelines. Uh, which is a really, I think, great way to structure a 500-plus page book because you're eager to get back to the next timeline, and it keeps you turning the pages even if the book is long. And um, so we see that three three generations, his son, um, I think his son's name is Peter, and then his granddaughter, whose name is escaping me, um, but, but she's kind of um, – She's living in the 20th century as kind of the the wealth of the family has become so mythic and so vast, but also like she's she's not quite sure how to manage their their current estate. Um, and I I just think it's a great sweeping depiction of of Texas. And even though Lonesome Dove ends up, you know, uh, voyaging out of Texas, I think. It's, it's heart is there. I mean, the title and the heart is there and we, we end there. Um, and so I wanted to put a big, big Texas book on this list. And I think The Sun is great. I think um, it's it's bleaker than Lonesome Dove, for sure. Maybe more in the vein of like a Cormac McCarthy sort of Western. Um, but it's, it's really well done, I think. Um, there is a TV show starring Pierce Brosnan. It's not... Hmm. Yeah. Weird choice. I do not recommend it. But the book is great. So that is The Sun by Philip Meyer.
1: You bring up a really good point about Texas. I can think of at least three people who are from Texas who cite Lonesome Dove as their favorite book. It's (laughs) such a Texas favorite it's i mean the the texas pride they really claim it as their own and i think we probably would have talked a little bit more about setting if we had more texas experience possibly (laughs) um but i do have two texas books on my list and the first one is one of my favorite mystery novels that i recommend all the time and so i'm really excited to be able to talk about it on the podcast It is Bluebird, Bluebird by Attica Locke. And Attica Locke is a TV writer and producer. She is sister to Tembi Locke, who wrote, I think it's called From Scratch, um, her Italy memoir. And uh, currently Attica Locke is producing that TV show, I think under Reese Witherspoon's production company with her sister. So she hasn't continued the Highway 59 series, which Bluebird, Bluebird is the first in. But I'm really dying for her to release that third novel. So the first one, Bluebird, Bluebird, introduces Darren Matthews, and he is a Black Texas Ranger. So this is set in Texas. It is about a current Texas Ranger and... Because Texas Rangers play such a pivotal role in Lonesome Dove, I thought that that was key to include here. Call and Gus really wrap their identity around being former Texas Rangers. And Darren Matthews, as a Black Texas Ranger, really struggles with his identity in that role. He really struggles with being Black in a mostly white police force. He struggles with being on a certain side of the law that he doesn't always agree with. And he also struggles with his relationship to Texas. He grew up in Texas, but he just wanted to get out the entire time. So he ends up studying law school in, I believe, Chicago, um, but somewhere much further east and then he comes back home and becomes a Texas Ranger so he has this law background he's got this law enforcement background and he his job is in jeopardy there is this uh sort of subplot that involves some sketchy dealings and kind of puts his honor in question so He kind of decides to get out of town and he travels up Highway 59 to Lark in order to solve some murders. These murders are racially charged. He is dealing with hate groups in a small town that has had racial tensions for decades. And so know that going into it, that there is quite a bit of racial trauma. There are racial slurs in this book. If you're not in a place to take that in, just be cautious with it. But I just found Darren Matthews to be such a compelling character. He is very cowboy-like in that he has his own honor code. And then he's also trying to navigate the honor code of the system that he's in. And so I just, I think he's really compelling as a detective, as a Texas Ranger, like that main character. I always like mysteries where the detective is a big part like you're watching their character development and they're complicated. He's definitely complicated. He has a complicated relationship with his wife, um, with his family. And so he just reminds me of a lot of these Hat Creek men who are struggling in their relationships with women and struggling to uh, serve justice, but when they also have other things pulling at them. So In that way, it's very Texas. It's very Western. But I think that the tone and the vibe is much more noir, but it's very atmospheric, very setting and place driven. And so I think in many ways, this is a great partner to Lonesome Dove. It just doesn't have quite the same like epic Western vibes. Similar themes, definitely strong setting, just a different tone.
0: Mm, Great pick. All right. Oh, and I love that it's genre fiction too. We've talked a lot about genre fiction over on Patreon and um, it's fun to pair a different genre with Lonesome Dove.
1: Yes. And like, this is a good one. If you don't love mystery or think you don't love mystery and you like literary mystery, I always recommend Bluebird, Bluebird. It's so good.
0: Okay. Well, maybe this one is a literary mystery or literary thriller. I've heard it described that way. I feel like it's better to just go in thinking of it as literary fiction, though, um, and then, you know, seeing what else is there. But it's it's I think it's slower paced. So maybe those descriptors can can um, set expectations wrong. But my next pick, I know you've read this, too, is The River by Peter Heller. So um. Peter Heller is a Denver author. This was my first book that I've read by him. I'm very interested to read his backlist. I think he's an author who kind of hops through different genres, and I always appreciate that. This particular book is about two boys, well, men, young men, college students, um, Jack and Wynn and they set out on a canoeing trip. Um, I think they're in Canada throughout uh, on their on their little voyage. Well, it's not a little voyage; it's pretty serious <laughs> expedition. And these two are are like they're ready for it; they can handle it. Wynn grew up in uh, Vermont, but has always um, camped and backpacked and been as outdoorsy as possible. Jack grew up on a ranch in Colorado. And so uh, being out in the wilderness and under the stars is just where he feels the most at home. And they, they're, this is a serious expedition, a long one, but they think it's going to be pretty relaxing. They're going to spend their days on the river. They bring their Western novels with them to read. They're going to stargaze and cook delicious meals and just enjoy each other's company. Um, and then they witness something a little bit unsettling. I think some t- some of the cover copy maybe gives a little bit too much away. So I'll just say they witness something unsettling, and then they smell something unsettling, smoke. (laughs) There is a wildfire happening too close to where they are for comfort. And so um, there's maybe like a human act of violence and also an act of natural violence happening around them and they need to get out um, and and off the river. So then it becomes much more fast-paced as we watch them trying to get get themselves out of danger and also figure out maybe what's going on um, with some of the other people around them. I I liked this book a lot because I think Peter Heller's a really good writer. He made me care about this expedition much more than I would have thought possible. And that reminds me a bit of Lonesome Dove. Just hearing about all the things that they pack for their canoe trip, all the details that and the planning that goes into it and what they're going to cook over the fire for all of their meals um, just set a really great mental picture for me of what this trip was like. I also think that much like Lonesome Dove, this is a book about male friendship and uh, masculinity and, and what – um, what it means to be loyal to, to your friend. Um, and also, you know, there's the coming of age bit. I could see, I could see Newt maybe being friends with Wynn and Jack <laughs> if he met them in the present day. Um, so yeah, I, I, I like this, this pairing for the themes for, for the setting. Um, even though it's a totally different setting, just the way he makes you care about, about the wilderness and the details, Um, there's a lot in this book about making hard decisions and how the wilderness forces you to make hard decisions that may seem at odds with your, with your values or how you want to take care of yourself or your friends. Um, and that, that reminded me of Lonesome Dove as well. I will say one caveat here, um, is just that Much in contradiction to Lonesome Dove, these characters did not leap off the page to me. They felt a little, not flat, but similar to each other. Whereas Larry McMurtry, like you said in our discussion, even if he didn't use their names, you could tell whose mind you were in and who was talking all the time. I felt like almost the opposite <laughs> with the river like the voice felt a little interchangeable even though they came from very different backgrounds um so that that made me hesitate in choosing this but I still think overall it makes a good pairing and it's much shorter than Lonesome Dove So that is the river by Peter
1: Heller my second pairing is also a Texas novel. And it is Olympus, Texas by Stacy Swan. This is a book that we read with Classics Club a couple summers ago. Was that yeah. just last summer? I think it
0: was just last summer. <laughs> I think so.
1: Yeah. Um, and we really liked it. Our community in general really liked it. We got to talk with Stacy Swan. And I believe she brought up Lonesome Dove as one of the books that just really inspired her to write a Texas novel. You okay, bud? Um. I think that I know when I was reading and I think much of our conversation in Classics Club really focused on the Greek mythology aspects of Olympus, Texas. She bases her characters on Greek gods and goddesses and sort of follows the plots of certain Greek myths and shapes a story around that. But when we talked to her, she said that really her primary goal in writing was to write a deeply Texas story. And I think she achieves this by having big, larger-than-life characters in a small town. And that feels very Lonesome Dove to me. There are also a couple of thematic elements in Olympus, Texas that I think tie to Lonesome Dove really well. There are issues of paternity. There are issues of morality and ethics and who can get away with what and why and privilege and it's it's epic in scope it's certainly not as long as lonesome dove but it is a very texas novel <laughs> Theo is hanging on your every word <laughs> it's cuz he heard us podcasting in uh, the womb <laughs> yeah
0: He's like, oh, I recognize this
1: cadence. Yes. (laughs) This is mom's podcast voice. (laughs) So comforting. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, You heard a lot of Sarah, too. Mm -hmm. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I think that's all I have to say about Olympus, Texas. I don't want to say too much more because I think it's one of those books knowing a little bit less about it going in is going to make the reading experience that much better.
0: I agree. And I think that's a great pairing. All right. My final one is my, you know, I always have one that's a little bit of a reach. <laughs> and uh, this is today's. So my final pairing is A Place for
1: Us by Fatima Farheen Mirza. Have you read this one? No, but you have encouraged me to. And mm-hmm. I mean, it's its one of those, like it's its on the list. I have it on my shelf. its yeah. I'm going to read it sometime, but... It feels like one of those precious books that I've got to pick the right time for it. Yes. And it's a crying book, so you you definitely need to pick the right time.
0: So this book follows an Indian Muslim family who have immigrated, the parents immigrated to California and then had three children there. Um, And this is not a, a spoiler, but the the time frame kind of spans um, both before and after September 11th and kind of how the family is or is not accepted by their community both before and after that, that event. Um, the book opens in like the latest timeline that it covers, which is at the wedding of the oldest daughter. And then we go back in time to see what her childhood and the childhood of her siblings were were like. We know that that these children are maybe not as close to their parents as the parents would like um, and throughout the course of the book we become we come to understand why that might be. Um, again I think this is one that's best just letting it unfold. Whenever structure is interesting like that, I think the author is really doing this on purpose. And I will just let her reveal things as she wants them revealed. But the reason that I think this makes such a great pairing for Lonesome Dove, I guess two reasons. One is it is another book that I totally lost myself in. Like I said, that's a rare experience for me. Um, And so that very much was the connection but this really is a book about fatherhood and um parenthood in general but mostly fatherhood and how doing the right thing might look so different to different people depending on their own backgrounds their, their generation where they came from just who they how they understand ethics and morality so In this book, you really, as a reader, struggle with many of the decisions that the father, Rafiq, makes. And you just, oh, he's hard on his kids. And you want him to have a better relationship with his kids than he does. And your heart breaks uh, over some of the interactions he has, especially with his son. But you ultimately understand where he's coming from and that was how i felt about call um in lonesome dove where it just oh some of those decisions i w- i wish i could change them for call but you you understand how deeply rooted in their in his character those decisions are and so i just i i think that these books these father stories really are speaking to each other and um When you said that you had read that Larry McMurtry really wanted to write a book about paternity and about fatherhood, that's when it solidified in my mind that I was going to pair this book because I think that's very much what this book is about too. And they show a very similar picture of fatherhood, even though the contexts are drastically different. So that is A Place for Us by Fatima
1: Farheen Mirza. I love your pairings. I think the river is especially genius. I am jealous. I didn't think of that. <laughs> I think that's such a smart pairing. I can see where so many people who love want Dove would like the river mm-hmm. and a place for us is such a good one, too. So mm, thanks. Uh, this is okay, fun. I'm have... glad we're
0: doing this again. Right. <laughs> right. It's been <laughs> a while. I, I thought it's maybe like, we'd be like we do this. For,
1: yeah. <laughs> it's like we do this for a living or yeah. something. <laughs> OK, um, what's your we last podcast pairing? about it? <laughs> um. I have a Montana book, and so this is Montana 1948 by Larry Watson. This is a very slim, slim book, almost novella length, and it's another small town story. So I think it's interesting that all three of my pairings are very small town when Lonesome Dove is so sweeping and expansive and takes place... Not just in a small town, but like over such a stretch of land. But it felt like such a small town book to me because even when they're entering these new places, everyone knows of them, right? It's all about reputation. And even though the West is so huge, it seems like word travels so fast and there's just really like this small town feel to it. Um, And then there's like that family feel with the Hat Creek company like driving and there's it's like their own small town moving with them. So anyway, this one is also a small town story it takes place in the summer um and it is about David and the events of this one summer that really shaped his view of his family. So there is this incident that he witnesses um with uh his with a family member. And with their Sioux housekeeper, Marie Little Soldier. And his eyes are really opened. This is very much a coming of age story. So in a lot of ways, it reminds me of Newt. And it's very much about like, do you choose family over the law? Or what does justice look like when you want to like protect the people that you love, but you need to do the right thing? And so in this very slim story with... I think it's – so it's been a while since I've read this one, but from what I remember, Larry Watson writes with, like, simple striking prose, and so this is not, like, a um, super literary flowery kind of novella or kind of read. It's very much like um, Larry McMurtry's writing, where it's just, like, to the point – But yeah, it just it gives me Western vibes. And I thought it was would be fun to have something in Montana and kind of explore that landscape because we we arrive in Montana by the end of Lonesome Dove, but we don't really get to experience it the way that we've experienced so many places in the novel. So Montana 1948, if you like Lonesome Dove, you want something kind of similar vibes, similar themes, but a really short read. Uh, Larry Watson writes some some good stuff. Well,
0: I'm glad that your pairings took us from Texas to Montana. Perfect. I And we got to go to San Francisco with a place for us, which is where Lorena wanted to get to this whole time.
1: <laughs> That's so true. Oh, I love it. All right. Unintentional, but perfect. <laughs> this was
0: so fun. I'm so glad we're back. Um, we are super excited for our fall season. We're going to be releasing episodes about every other week, uh, definitely more consistently. And I just
1: selfishly am really glad to be carving out the time to talk books with you again, Chelsea. Me too. Even if it means a baby joins us every once in a while (laughs) to insert their opinions. (laughs) Yes, for sure.
0: All right, Chelsea, this is something else we're going to be more consistent with. We're going to do a pick of the week. <laughs> sometimes they're going to connect to our books that we discuss, sometimes not. But we just like checking in with you all about something else we're watching, listening to,
1: or reading. So, Chelsea, do you have a pick of the week for us today? I do. I would like to recommend a great Western on Netflix called The Harder They Fall. This is one of very few Western films principally acted by all black actors, it's all black cast, and the characters are largely based on real historical figures, cowboys and outlaws and law enforcement. Um, You have found some paper, so if you hear that, (laughs) that's what that is. So for instance, one of the main characters is Nat Love, who was an American cowboy, formerly enslaved, um, but then freed following the American Civil War and then headed out west. And he's like one of the most famous cowboys of all time. Um, And so the story is about him seeking revenge and avenging the death of his parents from this outlaw group who are also based on this real life outlaw group. Uh, Bass Reeves shows up, who was one of the original Texas Rangers. So there's there are a lot of Western threads and real history uh, in this movie to draw people in, but the filmography is great. The music is incredible. It's action-packed. I was completely sucked in, and it's I think it's really fascinating to watch a totally modern take on the Western genre. And um, just see how this genre is evolving and how people are still like fascinated by this time period in this region (laughs) apparently this paper is really funny (laughs) (laughs) so um that is the harder they fall it is on netflix and it's a fairly new movie i think it came out like just a year ago so definitely check that one out if you want to stay in the western mode for a while what is your pick sarah So mine is very much Lonesome Dove related. It's
0: another podcast on Lonesome Dove. So one of my favorite podcasts is The Watch, which is uh, in the Ringer Network. And it's a TV podcast. I really like um, listening to, um, um, to Chris Ryan and Andy Greenwald. I love their they've been like friends forever. And I love listening to them talk about TV together. They both love Larry McMurtry, and during the pandemic, they both reread Lonesome Dove and then talked about it on their podcast. I think they ended up doing, like, four different episodes about it. I'm not quite sure how they divided it up, but they talk about both the book and the TV series, and it's really fun listening to them talk about the miniseries as TV critics especially. Um and Andrew Greenwald is also a, um, a showrunner and, and scriptwriter. So that that was really, really interesting. Um, and then they combined it into like one megapod. So you can just find the one. It's like two and a half hours long and listen to them talk about Lonesome Dove. So if we didn't get to everything you wanted us to get to today, uh, you can listen to them. And they'll have their like, you know. Two white dudes in their 40s have very different take on Lonesome Dove than we probably did, but just as much appreciation. And so that is my pick of the week. Also, The Watch in general, if you're looking for your next
1: great TV show, I really enjoyed that podcast. Well, readers, here we are. It's almost fall, and we cannot wait to share more episodes with you this fall season. In case you missed our announcements, we are going to be reading Persuasion. In September, getting back to our Jane Austen roots, we will read Macbeth in October. And I still struggle with saying the name of that play out loud as a former (laughs) theater kid. (laughs) So that's going to be interesting every time it's like... I twitch a little. Uh, and we are reading The Chosen and the Beautiful by Nivo in November. And that is a great Gatsby retelling. The theme of the season is adaptation. The classes are nerdy. Our community is ready for more readers to join in the fun. And so we would love to have you. You can go to patreon.com slash novel pairings and become either a literature lover For $5 a month to access bonus episodes on Fridays, or you can be a literature scholar for $8 a month to access bonus episodes and events, which include those classes and book club meetups with us. And I just want to say, Sarah, I feel like this is a steal for the content that we are putting out. So go sign up for... Novel Pairings Patreon. We would love to have you on our community and learn with you this season.
0: And if you feel like you've been missing out on our announcements, we get it. Social media is super tricky these days and Instagram likes to hide things from us. So be sure to sign up for our newsletter at novelpairings.substack.com. We'll still share TBR toppling reels, announcements, and other fun fun content on Instagram, so be sure to follow us there at Novel Pairings Pod. You can also add Novel Pairings Pod to your favorites list to make sure that you're seeing all of our great content. As we get back into our podcast major way to support our show is by writing us a review on apple podcasts thank you
1: all so much for helping fellow readers find our show thank you so much to miles eichner and mark anderson for our theme music next time we will be back to topple your TPRs with upcoming retellings and adaptations but until then we declare after all there is no enjoyment like reading how much sooner one tires of anything than of a book